0: Hey guys, do you have big plans for the new year? Squarespace makes it easy to turn those ideas into a unique website. Showcase your work, blog, or publish content. Even sell products and services of all kinds in just a few clicks. You can customize everything from look and feel to settings and products using beautiful templates created by world-class designers. And there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code BIGPICTURE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. (laughs) And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to...
1: Okie dokie, Smokey. The Oscar goes to...
2: And the Oscar goes to... There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture.
1: Moonlight won. This is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong.
0: I'm Sean Fennessy, editor-in-chief of The Ringer, and this is The Big Picture. Good morning to Paul Thomas Anderson and no one else. It is Oscars Day. Actually, I have two more people I'd like to say welcome to, and they are Amanda Dobbins, culture editor of The Ringer, and Kay Austin Collins. Film critic for The Ringer, Cam, Amanda, what's up? Good morning.
1: Sean, good morning, and congratulations to you.
0: What a great day for PTA in the world. Guys, it's Oscars Day, one of my favorite days of the year, and I'm so glad you're joining me to talk about the Oscars. Interesting lineup of nominees. Let's start right at the top. The most important category, best picture. I'm going to read the nominees, and then we can discuss them, break them down, and you can share your feelings about what we did and didn't get today. So, from the top, call me by your name. Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, The Shape of Water, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Cam, what was your immediate reaction upon seeing the first nine nominees for Best Picture?
2: Uh, you know, honestly, I usually hate most of the nominees for Best Picture, <laughs> and I was shocked that this is a year, not shocked that this was a year that I didn't hate most of them, but I was pleased that I was right about so many of the good ones getting nominated, Um, and some surprises, actually. Um, But the ones I was rooting for are there, thank God, because- Well, what are those movies? uh, I mean, I'm rooting for Phantom Thread, Get Out, Lady Bird, and to everyone's surprise, at least relative to the other things nominated, uh, Dunkirk, um, which is not a movie that I love, but it's a movie that I respect enough (laughs) it's the best Churchill movie nominated. (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) But not the best Churchill movie this year. No, not the best Churchill movie. I'm sorry, it's not the best Dunkirk movie this year. Sorry, yes. Yes. Right,
0: exactly. Uh, What movie is that, Amanda?
1: That would be Their Finest by Lone Scherfig, which was released earlier, I believe, in March, and is about the making of a film about Dunkirk. So out of three Dunkirk movies this year, (laughs) I'm going, one, Their Finest, two, Dunkirk, and three, Darkest Hour, which I agree should not be in this mix.
0: Yeah, The finest not acknowledged. Dunkirk yeah. and Darkest Hour are, are acknowledged. Um, Amanda, what, what about you? What were you uh, excited to see? What were you frustrated to not see other than Lone Scherfig's uh, historical drama?
1: I would generally agree with Cam, which is that I was so surprised, particularly by Phantom Thread, which I think we all enjoyed and all did not expect to see in this list. And then... And also by Ladybird, which was my favorite film of the year, and I think we knew it would be nominated, but still, you don't want to count your chickens before they hatch. So. The Oscars
2: are, you know, the Oscars will always betray you. Exactly.
1: <laughs> but beyond being surprised by Phantom Thread, I was so generally pleased by the nominations that I, I almost feel like I've been tricked. Mm-hmm. I worried that I've become too complacent and that things are, I, I'm happy about these, and that seems to be setting me up for disappointment somehow. That's where I am on the emotional spectrum.
0: Yeah. I had a similar reaction. I, I do think it's worth noting that it's understood. I think the conventional wisdom is that The Shape of Water and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri are the front runners for Best Picture. Right. And those are not two titles that you guys named, nor would I name them among my favorites in this group. I think the Phantom Thread nomination is what really threw people for a loop because virtually no one was predicting that the film was released the latest out of any movie this year. Uh, I think it's fair to say that it's quite idiosyncratic, even though Paul Thomas Anderson has been nominated uh, a few times in the past for his films. But there was some ambient concern that all of the energy that was going towards movies like Get Out and Ladybird that a lot of young people loved, that felt a little bit different from your sort of histo- historical Oscar fair, would somehow get tweaked or shut out or closed out of a series of categories. And, th- and that really didn't happen across the board, fair to say? Uh,
2: yeah. I mean, I mean – To to your point about Phantom Thread, the fact that it got—I'm looking at a a little chart that lists nominees by the number of nominations that they have. And for Phantom Thread to have six uh, like spread out, just one fewer than three billboards, is just not the kind of thing that I was expecting at all. Um, And for Get Out to have only four, I actually wasn't—I mean, I guess I don't know why I expected it to have more. It's not a technical category movie, but this is a year where it seemed like they were spreading the love a little bit. With the exception of Shape of Water getting far many more nominations than anything else. Um,
1: I would agree. Generally, I think that there are just an unusual number of Best Picture nominees that I personally am really excited about. And I speak for a lot of people at The Ringer and just kind of young people who go to the movies. Everyone is very excited about Get Out. Everyone is excited about Lady Bird. Everyone is excited about Phantom Thread. Most people are excited by Call Me By Your Name, except for certain people on this podcast. <laughs> I am.
2: Who <laughs> could you be referring but, to?
1: You know, it, so I'm both happy. And then I had this moment of just wondering if I'm washed now because I agree with the Academy. And does that mean that I'm an old person and the next generation is going to come along and be angry about the choices?
0: You raise an interesting point, which is that in many ways, and I wrote this in, uh, in a piece this morning on The Ringer, I think that this feels like, um, if not a cataclysmic, at least a very significant change in terms of what is available to be nominated to people, what feels like it should be a frontrunner or should be in the conversation. And there were a lot of historic firsts. On the other hand, I think because we've spent six months prognosticating about this, there is, as our producer Zach Mack said, a, a bit of a chalk feeling to some of this stuff with the exception of Phantom Thread, which is just, it's a strange cognitive dissonance between a horror movie directed by a black man is nominated for best picture but we also just completely expected that and that is a, that's a unique place to be in oscar history you know historically we think of dances with wolves as like the ideal oscar movie and and we're in a different kind of era do you guys agree with that i mean yeah i mean you know you're making me think
2: i was most surprised by darkest hour being among the nominees and another year i mean darkest hour is sort of like the king's speech of this year um, I guess just because it's British and costuming.
1: It's actually literally about the same character. I mean, right. okay. Okay. Right. Thank so, you for yes.
2: validating because I was just, man, I was thinking I was being oversimple there. But yeah, for that to be the surprise nominee for me um is significant, whereas you're right, I totally went into this thinking the Blumhouse movie was going to be there, the A24 movie was going to be there. A little surprised that the St- Spielberg movie is there actually, Um which is weird. Which is weird.
0: Yeah, th- th- I guess it's worth saying that The Shape of Water is leading the pack with 13 nominations. It is nominated in almost every sort of artisan category, which is usually a good sign that there's a lot of momentum behind the movie, that there's a lot of support from all of the branches of the Academy. I'm I'm keeping that in mind as we approach the Oscars on March 4th. I, I suspect that there will be a steady churn towards rewarding Guillermo del Toro in The Shape of Water. But you know what? We have plenty of time to get into that. Before we go to the other categories, though, and parse those, I do want to know what is your single biggest surprise. So, Amanda, why don't you go first? What was the most uh, shocking surprise and or snub, if that's a word you enjoy using?
1: It is. And I am (laughs) going to use snub. This... The problem is that this is, my feelings are a surprise to no one, which is that Army Hammer was not nominated, and (laughs) I'm angry. And we can talk a little bit more about the supporting actor category, which is a a little, it's very tricky right now, and in a way is representative of all of the concerns of this Oscar season. But I, for now, will just say that Army Hammer is a delight. It was a joy to have him at awards shows. And I, I really loved his performance in Call Me By Your Name, which was a film that I enjoyed. And I'm sad that he will not be recognized.
0: I don't think you're going to miss him at the awards show, though. Something tells me he'll be there in a tux. He'll be presenting. He'll be smiling with that lantern jaw. Like, you'll get plenty of army. There's there's six whole weeks here to go.
1: That's true. But today I get to be outraged.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Cameron, what about you? Um,
2: mine is petty, but this is a petty question. You know, it's begging me to be petty. I would like to know why John Williams is nominated for the Star Wars score. That was one of the times where I was just like, "What is wrong?" Uh, I mean, e- even just like for this year, you have to have your John Williams nomination. I get that. He also made music for a, a Spielberg movie. Like, why not? It's not memorable music. It's not good music. But he hasn't been memorable or good in a long time. So that's not the that's not the you know the factor here. It's more just. Why are we nominating Star Wars for Star Wars music that we've been hearing for this from the 70s? That's still just a variation on the same things we've been hearing since the 70s. It's just this is the era of so much interesting movie music, Trent Reznor, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's just, why are we doing the John Williams thing still? I I'm this is petty. This is like a thing that five people care about, <laughs> to be honest, but but uh, you know, uh, yeah, I think that's lame. I think that's, a, I think that's a, a sign that the Oscars, in some ways, just as as progressive as they seem this year, are also wedded to their older, stodgier um, choices in many ways. Still, their respectful choices. Yeah, There's no good, way to explain John Williams for Star Wars other than, yeah, you're alive, you're still making music.
0: It's a good point. This is John Williams' 51st nomination, which See, is uh, ludicrous, <laughs> um, insane. And, you know, I, I, I like The Last Jedi score. I also am very fond of The Last Jedi, maybe more so than several occupants of the Internet. Um, I, I thought it was a little strange that they didn't make more of an aggressive push for Best Picture, and given the, the critical reception of the film. But I agree with you that nominating John Williams in the time of Johnny Greenwood is a strange choice. I'll be very curious to see if um, Greenwood is able to overcome Alexandra Desplat um, and The Shape of Water. My pick is... Uh, Denzel Washington, who was nominated for Best Actor, <laughs> and I don't know if it's a snub or a surprise or what the right terminology is, but it doesn't feel right, and that is not my favorite Denzel Washington performance nor my favorite film, and it also, in, in its own way, feels, I think, a bit, Cam, like what you're talking about, which is sort of an old-world Oscar mentality where there's, there's a great performer in a thin field, and so they choose to acknowledge him and I identify him as one of the best. Now, you know, there are several mitigating factors here. One is that Tom Hanks is in the post, and it's not the best Tom Hanks performance. It's a little bit of a paint-by-numbers Hanks, Ben Bradley. The other is that James Franco, who we should say has been accused of sexual misconduct by a number of people in the course of the last few weeks, um, was thought to be among the five most likely to be nominated, and he's not nominated today, whether that is – as a result of the misconduct allegations or not, it is impossible for us to say. Um, nevertheless, Denzel is nominated, and that just seems strange. And it feels weird to be calling him out for being nominated for a movie that, like, not very many people saw, and I don't think very many people liked. The movie disappeared. It did. It's like the first Denzel nominated performance that I can think
2: of where the movie just disappeared. Like, he's gotten random nominations mm-hmm. before. Um, I wouldn't, well, man, I mean, maybe isn't the word. I'm thinking of a movie like Flight, where he was actually kind of extraordinary, but didn't really expect him to be nominated. Or, I mean, I, I didn't. Um, but for this, it's just, like, no one saw Roman. Like, who who had that screener and thought that that was urgent to watch? Because it was a movie that nobody was talking about. Nobody was talking about it after TIFF. Nobody talked about it when it came out. People on the sheets were like, Denzel Washington's in a movie. Um. So it, it does feel weird to me. I mean, you know, I love Denzel, though. I can't wait to see him.
1: Yeah, I <laughs> I suspect that motivated a lot of... It's a weak category. And then yeah. you see Denzel's name and are happy to see his name and write it in. it. Watching Denzel at both the Golden Globes and the SAG Awards, I think he is probably as perplexed and or annoyed by the
2: nomination
1: <laughs> as everyone else. He has not been happy. So that'll be interesting. Not
0: much of a press tour no. from him. For this movie, I think he knows what, what what must it feel like to know you're in fifth place in a five person race at all times. That's a, that's a, must be a strange feeling, and he knows because there's no atmosphere around that movie whatsoever. And you know, he's Denzel. He's phenomenal. He has an Oscar. He deserves everything that he has gotten in his career. But uh, there's just there's just something notably off about this. Um, our our boss, Bill Simmons, says it's a tragedy that Robert Pattinson was not nominated for Best Actor for Good Time. Um, I agree, uh, Cam. I know you're a fan. I'm a huge fan as well. You know, there's probably a number of other sort of left field choices that we could come up with, but it's unusual and interesting that in a year that is, I I guess, considered to be, for lack of a better word, a progressive Oscars year, that the weakest and thinnest field is Best Actor, which is usually the most loaded. And, you know, it just sticks out in my mind. Guys, let's jump to Best Director. Um, I'm going to read you the nominees now. Dunkirk Christopher Nolan, Get Out Jordan Peele. Lady Bird, Greta Gerwig, Phantom Thread, Paul Thomas Anderson, and The Shape of Water, Guillermo del Toro. I think that the headline here is Paul Thomas Anderson, who not many people had tabbed for this. In fact, no one on GoldDerby.com, the "quote unquote" expert predictors of award season, had pointed towards Paul Thomas Anderson. Guys, what is your reaction to this field of nominees?
1: I'm very. I think this might be the best category. Mm. This is very exciting because it. It, there's something for everyone. It's great to see Jordan Peele in there. It's wonderful to see Greta Gerwig in there. It's great to see Paul Thomas Anderson is a total surprise and very deserving. Christopher Nolan, even if you didn't enjoy the process of experience of watching Dunkirk, it's a technical feat. You can't argue and with And it's it. short. That's so true.
2: <laughs> it is short and God bless. Yeah. This is
0: his first nomination.
2: Yes. for his shortest movie, right? We're one of the shortest. Yeah. <laughs> I just I'm just the correlation here you know I'm just you know very interested
1: yeah and listen I don't really acknowledge fish sex but good for <laughs> Guillermo del Toro it's it seems to represent a feat of filmmaking so this is exciting this is also everyone we want and everyone and no one we don't want which is great to see so I'm pleased this is maybe my favorite category
0: Cam how'd you respond I so this is the only
2: category where I'm rooting for at least three people. Um, I'm actually rooting for four people. Pretty much everyone, but Guillermo. No hard, hard, hard feelings. But uh, I, I didn't. I didn't really enjoy that movie, and I, I'm pretty sure that he's going to win this. It's it's best director is such a. It's treated like a technical category, even though I don't think it really should be, and um, I think because of the two technical feats, Dunkirk and Shape of Water. Uh, Shape of Water is the one that seems to have more momentum. It's sort of both a great category and a anticlimactic for me. But Jordan Peele, Greta Garwig, Paul Thomas Anderson, great lineup. You know, this is a category where there's usually someone where I just think, like, the dude who directed Imitation Game was nominated for this.
0: Morton Tillman. Yes. You know what he's doing right now? Directing the debut of a J.K. Simmons show on Stars. That's how far his star has fallen. Sad.
2: I don't know if that's fallen or I don't even know what that means anymore. I mean, I'm going to say fallen because that's my opinion on that, but I'm sure he thinks he's doing well. But anyway, I, you know, I, I think this category is great. <laughs> like,
0: I'm enjoying it. Uh, yeah, I'm, just... I'm I'm excited for for PTA, obviously. Um, this is his second best director nomination after There Will Be Blood, and I think he has virtually no chance to win. So that's interesting. Um in, well, who in, knows anymore? Who knows anymore? He wasn't
2: supposed to be nominated. It's very I mean, true. He's not going to win.
0: But like, it's. I think one thing that is p- a possible side effect of these nominations is that a lot more people end up watching Phantom Third because they see that it got six nominations, and then there is a swell. And you know, as as Zach pointed out before we started recording, it does tick a lot of the historical boxes. And I think it being Daniel Day Lewis's swan song, or at least purported swan song means that there will be probably a little bit more sentimental energy behind it than certainly than I thought six hours ago. Um, I I do still think this is Guillermo del Toro's race to lose. And it's funny that Guillermo del Toro, who is, you know, a Mexican filmmaker who makes very personal, very unusual monster movies, essentially, has been almost denigrated to being sort of like the the, the old world you know the old version of what we prize yeah. and there's just something so strange about that because if you watch any of his other movies even pan's labyrinth which was the last time he was sort of acknowledged as a, an awards contender um th- these are really strange fairy tales that he's trying to tell and they're not for for christopher nolan to somehow seem more provocative than guillermo del toro is it has just been a fascinating turn of events for me do you think the Academy—I mean, I know it has 13 nominations. I know he's up
2: for Best Director. Do you think the Academy is really into the fish sex? I'm just not convinced that they are. Somehow, I know that all evidence points elsewhere. And I do think he's going to win this category. When you mean into the fish sex, like, what? what is that? <laughs> what I mean is I expect those anonymous Oscar ballot people in—is it Variety, Hollywood Reporter? Hollywood Reporter, yeah. In Hollywood Reporter— to say things like, the movie has fish sex in it. This is so ridiculous. I can't believe I can't believe people are going for the fish sex movie. Like in the way that I also expect them to say, well, Get Out's not really that good. It's just very relevant. And mm-hmm. the same thing about Lady Bird. I expect the comments to be, you know, I'm voting for Del Toro because he had the most to do, and because I'm sort of over Nolan. And PTA will have his chance again, and Greta Gerwig and Peel are diversity ones, and GDT is the one who's doing the most fantastical a tourist thing, and but I really don't like the fish sex. So I'll vote for this, but not for Best Picture. This is this is what I'm imagining one of them is gonna to say to a T.
0: Amanda, you're going the other way. You're saying I love fish sex, I loved everything about it, <laughs> the way it was staged, the the physical possibilities that GDT showed us, right? I love monsters. Yeah. Little I- beasties.
1: I can't even with the little beasties. My interpretation of The Shape of Water has always been that, quote, artists love another quote artist. And people really find this to be such a moving, creative exploration of what outsiders can do and the imagination. And so you can see a lot of the actors of the in the Guild responding to Sally Hawkins's performance and you can see people kind of appreciating the imagination and... I, It sort of seems like director is where that would be rewarded. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe it's just fish sex
0: all the way. I I agree completely. Fish sex all the way. Um, (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about what I think is the most interesting category, though not one of the top line categories per se. And that is best adapted screenplay. And here are the nominees for that. Call Me By Your Name by James Ivory, The Disaster Artist, uh, written by Scott Neustadter and Michael H. Weber. Logan, written by Scott Frank and James Mangold and Michael Green, Molly's Game by Amanda's BFF Aaron Sorkin, and Mudbound, which is written by Virgil Williams and Dee Reese. So there's three headlines here, I think. First and foremost is Logan, which is a comic book movie that is nominated for one of the seven most important Oscars. The second is Mudbound, which features the first ever black woman nominated for this category. And the third is The Disaster Artist, which is mostly shut out uh, at the Oscars, but somehow managed to sneak its way in here. I think because the, the authors of the movie devised a very, a, sort of a devilishly clever adaptation of a complicated book. Um, right. But, I, you know, I wanted to get a sense from you guys if you thought this was interesting in any way. Usually screenplay categories can be a bellwether for other races, and I'm not sure if that's the case this time around. Um, but what, what did you think, Cam? You know, I, it's it's funny to feel like, to look at both screenplay categories
2: and feel like historically I always relied on the screenplay branch to be where the weirdos were mm-hmm. and to not feel that way really this year. I mean, a lot of these are, I mean, a lot of these are just best picture picks, more so the um, original screenplay. Um, but adapted, it's, you know, yeah, James Ivory, Call Me very Name. I kind of saw that coming. Molly's Game, Aaron Sorkin, it's a lot of words. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he wins for most words. <laughs> most most words. Logan though is really a pleasant surprise and it reminds me that there was a time in the year when I thought that Logan was actually gonna be more of an award season push. Like I actually if, if there were any blockbuster superhero movie or, or kind, of, kind of IP movie among best picture nominees, I expected not Star Wars but Logan because it's the serious comic book movie and I thought that the Academy um would love to
0: pat themselves on the back that way. Can I, can and I think I, this is the closest to that Maybe. L- let me share a theory that I've been working on that I, I have been workshopping and I, I haven't shared yet publicly. That theory is that Darkest Hour took all of Logan's heat and that they are the same movie. If you look at the structure mm. about a, a powerful man attempting to gain more power as he ages and he, he sees that he is nearing the end— There's a stronger man that he has to guide around and make sure he makes the right choices. And then there's a young woman that is essentially supporting him and making sure that he accomplishes his feats. Should Logan be in the Darkest Hour spot? Amanda, yes or no? No. (laughs) Wasn't that a good pitch, though?
1: That was great. And I I should clarify that I don't think Darkest Hour should be in the Darkest Hour split anyway. I I have a slightly simpler theory, Sean, which, as you noted in your piece today— The collective box office of the Best Picture nominees is less than the box office of Star Wars The Last Jedi. And it just these Oscar nominations are noticeably blockbuster resistant in -hmm. a way that seems like a choice. And it just seems that no one really was feeling interested in rewarding superhero movies and or movies that make a lot of money. A strange choice in terms of self-preservation, but that's my best explanation.
0: I have a lot of feelings about that. I'll be very curious to see what kind of atmosphere there is around the Oscars this year. You know, the ratings were down a bit last year. They've been down for the most part over the course of the last decade. And I do think that one of the reasons for that is just because there are a lot of Americans who just don't know even what The Shape of Water is. You know, that's a movie that it's a it's a frontrunner with 13 nominations and has only made $30 million. You know, Logan has made $300 million. Wonder Woman has made $500 million. Those movies are largely not represented here, and I I don't really agree necessarily with um, quality and attention uh, having uh, being equal. But there is something to be said because I think the the, the original argument around expanding the best p- 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 excuse me I think the original argument around expanding the best picture pool to ten nominees was the absence of The Dark Knight, and right. we're still not really in a place where those movies are acknowledged in these spaces. Um, I don't know, Cam, w- w- do you think that that's something that should be happening, that feels important?
2: I, you know, It's something that I would like to happen if only because I—well, maybe this is more a matter of making better movies that cost a lot of money and make a lot of money, um, making more worthy movies. Of those movies this year, though, I really did think that Logan was—I mean, in this category, as much as I love James Ivory, um, I would— vote for Logan if I were voting. Um, It is the most interesting challenge in a screenplay. Um, And I just, I'm wondering if there was something about the way that it was campaigned or not. It's here. So someone, someone put some money into sending the screenplay to everyone. Um, But yeah, I wonder if the studios just aren't campaigning these movies very well. I wonder uh, if the visibility just isn't there. Uh, I don't know. I'm a little, I, I would love for more big Hollywood movies to be, a part of the Oscars, not only for the health of that organization, but also just I would like for big movies to be a part of that conversation. I don't think that the quality movie conversation should only be indies, Um even though if that right now is reflecting the way the industry works. I'd like the industry to try harder to make better big movies. And I know, I mean, I think they tried. I think with Logan and War for the Planet of the Apes and Star Wars in its way, they were getting at something. Those are all better than Transformers. But I would would like to be able to think that a movie like Logan, like it would have been beautiful to me if Logan, Get Out, and Lady Bird, and Call Me By Your Name were all in the same year, kind of anointed. I would
0: like that. We're not Um, quite in that space. We're going to get to the rest of the major nominations, but first let's take a quick break to get a word from our sponsor. Support for today's show comes from Squarespace. Ready to start your new business? Why wait until the new year to set your plans in action? The future is coming. Make it brighter with Squarespace. With beautiful templates created by world-class designers, Squarespace makes it easy to turn your idea into a new and unique website. Showcase your work, blog or publish content, even sell products and services of all kinds in just a few clicks. You can customize everything from look and feel to settings and products. And it's all optimized for mobile right out of the box. So use Squarespace's analytics to help you grow in real time. And there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. Though if you do have a question, Squarespace's award-winning 24-7 customer support is there to help. A dream is just a great idea that doesn't yet have a website. So make it a reality with Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code BIGPICTURE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com, offer code BIGPICTURE. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. The NFL playoffs are in full swing, and the Ringer NFL Show has you
2: covered for all your pro football needs. Sunday night, get Michael Lombardi and Tate Fraser's rapid reactions on GM Street. On Tuesdays, the Ringer NFL Show with Robert Mays, Kevin Clark, and regular guest Danny Kelly break down all the biggest angles. On Wednesday, GM Street again on Thursdays. Clark, Mays, and Danny are back at it again. And on Friday. GM Street's Friday Focus gives you all the insight you need for gambling, fantasy, and everything else. Don't forget about my podcast, too, on Mondays. The BS Podcast. Cousin Sal and I playing Guest Alliance. More importantly, the Ringer NFL Show. Subscribe right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: We're back on The Big Picture with Amanda Dobbins and Cam Collins. I am Sean Fennessy. And now we're going to talk about the acting nominees at the 2018 Oscars. We're going to start with Best Supporting Actress, which I think is a pretty interesting category. I'll read the nominees. They are Mary J. Blige for Mudbound, Allison Janney for Itania, Leslie Manville for Phantom Thread, Lori Metcalf for Lady Bird, and Octavia Spencer for The Shape of Water. Amanda, what was your immediate reaction when you saw this category?
1: Thrilled for Leslie Manville. Yes. yes. That was the surprise <laughs> for everyone. And she was fantastic. Hallelujah. And it's great to see her there. And I would love it if she wins. She will not. She will absolutely not. So I was thrilled to see Leslie Manville. I was thrilled to see Mary J. Blige. Yeah. The rest were expected. And there is a sense of inevitability to this category, despite the surprises. And Allison and Janney has been winning all the awards. And I am here to say that I do not think Allison Janney deserves this Oscar. And, At all. <laughs> and I <laughs> At say all. that as a person who is a huge fan of Allison Janney and her career. And she seems like a wonderful woman. But I do not understand this category.
2: I'm, man, I, this is Laurie Metcalf's Oscar to me. I mean, it, I would also love for Leslie Manville to win. Um, she is my favorite, actually, of of this group. But of the people that who have been winning things who've been nominated <laughs> this season so far, to me it's like Laurie Metcalf, it just feels like she's gonna be the also ran. And I just this like this this is just a category where I'm I'm intrigued by the range of choices and displeased by the fact that there's such a clear front runner who's the wrong one.
1: Yeah, and maybe we're speaking too soon because Allison Janney did win the Golden Globe, she did win the SAG Award. But Itani did not do as well in the nominations as we had perhaps expected.
0: I expected way better, and I think yeah,
1: everyone on this podcast is is pleased with the general trend of how the Itani nominations are going. Yeah. So who knows? But I just don't understand the Alice and Janney performance. It, despite the problems with the movie, if you have them, it's a, such a it's easy for her. I, I don't understand yeah. why we're rewarding Alice and Janney. Can do those kind of one liners in her sleep. And
2: I don't get it. I don't. I don't get it either. It, it feels like the kind of performance where, if you're ever looking through like IMDb of like previous supporting actor or actress winners, it seems like one of those very dated ones. Where you're just like, oh yeah, I guess you would have voted for that in the '70s. This feels <laughs> like like she, a bird on your shoulder, kind of bitchy one liner, mean mom role. Just doesn't feel very contemporary as a choice to me. And I don't mean that in a po- political way. I just mean that it's like seem chewy in a way that seems too obvious. Um, whereas like Laurie Metcalf, I mean, even even every write-up that I saw this morning pointed out that Laurie Metcalf was the more nuanced or interesting role. So it's clear that we all seem to think that Laurie Metcalf here is the one to be paying attention to. But Alison Jenny just keeps winning. And good for her. Her first Oscar, if she wins.
1: I have a question for you, Sean, which is just that Allison and Janney and Margot Robbie were both instrumental in the in the making of Itania and sort of making that happen. Do you think there's anything to the idea that that is being rewarded whether they're, rather than their performances? Hmm.
0: I do think that that is what has been identified in Allison Janney's performance specifically, which is that, you know, she's very, very close friends with Stephen Rogers who wrote the screenplay and the part was written explicitly for her. And if, if she were to not get it, um, I don't think that this movie would have happened. And even though what you guys are saying is true, and you, Amanda, I know specifically you're a longtime time Janney watcher, the fact that it's kind of her hitting her, her, her base notes, you know, her key notes, a lot of moviegoers are not as fam- familiar with that. A lot of movie makers are not as familiar with that because she, you know, spent a lot of time in the West Wing and is now one of the stars of Mom. She's a TV actress, and I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, but she's largely known for her work on television. And... This is kind of her doing it on a slightly bigger stage. And the lines are written specifically to her cadence. Um, as far as Margot Robbie, I mean, we can get into that a little bit more in the Best Actress category. She is a producer on the movie. There's never been a woman who's produced a movie and has also been nominated for Best Actress um, at the Oscars before. So that that part of it is, is interesting. This category is a little bit of a sore thumb for me because – I don't really understand the Octavia Spencer nomination at all. I don't understand that part. I don't—it's the most underwritten part in the movie, and it feels like um, Octavia by numbers. And I don't really understand the Mary J. Blige nomination either. I I think that that's probably the least interesting supporting performance in that movie, which I think is a little underrated at this point. Um, And I I I, do—I think it's a good performance, and she's a famous woman, and there's a good story there. But, you know, I wrote last week that I was way more taken with Jason Mitchell's performance in that movie— um, I think it's interesting what Carrie Mulligan has to do in that movie given that that book is about her character. But then the story shifts completely and so she becomes kind of a supporting character in this movie adaptation of that book. So, you know, I, I agree with you guys ultimately that Laurie Metcalf has the most nuanced role and the most nuanced performance. I think it's also kind of fascinating that essentially it's going to be a race between two people who are best known as TV actresses. I do yeah. think that Alice and Jenny will be rewarded ultimately, though. Um, as- I have a question for you, though, about—because I'm i totally
2: on the same page, and I'm wondering— there's this supporting actress rut that Octavia Spencer seems to be in, uh, and I don't just mean in terms of nominations. Um, this is a category she's been in before. She's won before. But even just, like, the kinds of roles that she's offered or takes and gets recognized for, I'm both, like, incredibly—I mean, to think, like, wow, what a time when there's a black actress that I can name who's, like, a sure-thing Oscar nominee that's, like, in a way amazing. But I'm over—I'm just so over. She's in, like, a weird fish sex movie, and she's still playing the same kind of role that she always plays. It's just weird to me. And that, to me, is also kind of a damning part of that movie— um, frankly, a limit to that movie's vision that you really can't imagine anything better for Octavia Spencer than what she's been doing in every other Oscar-nominated performance that she's had. But in the midst of a deaf woman having sex with a fish,
0: yeah, wouldn't um, you love to see what she could do with like a Leslie Manville character in Phantom Thread? Oh type God. of God! You know, absolutely. She hasn't re- really been given a chance, and who knows? Or why Sally that Hawkins's
2: role in Shape of Water? I would right. love for Octavia Spencer to. I would love for them to have shared the fish guy. <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> okay. Wow.
2: Or something. Something. The only way to
0: make that movie more perverse would be to (laughs) add another participant in the fish sex. Something. Um,
2: I know that would risk the number of Oscar nominations it would get, (laughs) but I think that'd be more interesting. But yeah, I I feel a little bit like Sword Thumb is right. I feel a little bit let down by this, even though it's like I want to celebrate these nominees. And um, but I just feel a little bit, you know, even Mary J Blige's character and role here. It's sort of like there is a way to get nominated for a Best
0: Supporting Actress as a black actress. And these two roles epitomize it. Really well put. Let's use this as an opportunity to pivot to supporting actor. Here are the nominees. Willem Dafoe, The Florida Project. Woody Harrelson, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Richard Jenkins, The Shape of Water. Christopher Plummer, All the Money in the World. And Sam Rockwell, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Guys, first of all, uh, it was noted this morning that Woody Harrelson and Sam Rockwell sharing the Best Supporting Actor nominations for the same film hasn't happened in decades, and there's a lot of people who seem to think that Rockwell, myself included, who seem to think that Rockwell is going to run away with this. Uh, I think Woody's presence in the movie in this category, though, slightly undermines that. Um, so, I, you know, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about that and also talk to you a little bit about the Christopher Plummer nomination, which is obviously larded with controversy of its own. Um, Amanda, what did, what did you think about this category in general?
1: Well, as we set up earlier, I'm already disappointed because Army Hammer is not in this category. Right. Sad. And Ian... There are two things going on here. I think that Sam Rockwell and Woody Harrelson were both kind of locks from very early on in the awards process. And I, that is not how I would design this category. And I think it's how not how many people would design this category, both because of conflicted feelings about Three Billboards, which maybe not even conflicted is the word, uh, dislike of the film Three Billboards. But also, I, I don't know that Frankly, you forget that Woody Harrelson in this movie. I like Woody Harrelson a lot, and I think he's very good for the 15 minutes that he's in it, but this is it does kind of seem like the traditional famous person does a very short stint in a movie and you're happy to see them, and so you give them an Oscar nomination. And I think that's that's disappointing in its own right when you have Army Hammer and Michael Stolberg and a lot of other
0: interesting actors. Were any of those um, other interesting actors um in a movie that wasn't called me by your name?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael Stuhlbarg was also in *Shape of Water* and *The Post*. That's he's basically true. the most important. Yes, that's true. Most important actor. Um, yeah, this category is boring to me. I only have one horse in this race, and it's Willem Dafoe. And I guess he's not going to win. Um, I don't know why Richard Jenkins is here. To be honest, that's no side against him. Uh, I just you're like. You know, I, And I appreciate a gay BFF. I appreciate, I appreciate <laughs> the lane. Good for him. I'm a little bored with that performance. Um, Christopher Plummer, I also admired, but I do think that he's here because of the feat of, first of all, I think in those reshot scenes from All the Money in the World, he's the only one who seems to be acting because he's the only one who's doing it for the first time. Um, maybe it's just him sharing scenes with Mark Wahlberg where it's like one of you is clearly <laughs> one of you is clearly awake and one of you is clearly not. Um but I appreciate him. Good for him. Woody Harrelson, I love. Uh not in this movie, not memorable. Sam Rockwell, I love, and would really love to win an Oscar. Um and my misgivings are less about the role than about the fact that this is also sort of by the numbers for me. It's like a, a role that I it perfectly suits him and I think he does a perfectly fine job. I think it's good. I give him a gold star. Um, I don't know why I would give him an Oscar. Whereas Willem Dafoe, it's like the challenge of being in a movie as a professional actor surrounded by non-actors, A, and blending in and being naturalistic. B being Willem Dafoe and not being creepy um is a feat because he he just <laughs> for me is always a creepy presence. No, no shade, just like a that's what he's good he's used for often. But he's like warm and loving and caring in this. It's it's sort of against type. And I would just love to see him. I would just love for Willem Dafoe to win. You know? Um,
1: we also haven't really <clears throat> talked about The Florida Project, which yeah. was on a lot of favorite lists at the end of the year and could be considered a snub for Best Picture. I yeah. received a very angry email from my own father this morning about The Florida Project not being included in Best Picture nominations. So it's a, I, I liked that movie a lot. I think it maybe wasn't a lock, but it's sad that it's not getting more attention. And I yeah. do think it's a shame that Sam Rockwell is going to run away with it over Willem Dafoe's performance.
0: Yeah. I, I'm not so sure. I, I I think that there is a chance that Dafoe takes this, which is not really how the, the awards have played out. And But I do think the absence of Martin McDonough for Best Director... Indicates mm-hmm. that maybe the three billboards train is not as powerful as we initially thought. We could see there is some vote splitting in play. I think Woody is also, even though that character kind of vanishes after the first 45 minutes of the movie, is beloved and may just yes. catch a lot of, um, uh, you know, pity and admiration uh, votes. And Woody is never bad in anything. I mean, he's always lifts the spirit of a movie, even if his character isn't essential. Um, the one thing that's unfortunate about the Willem Dafoe nomination is. He's the only person that was recognized for the Florida Project, as Amanda, you pointed out. And he's the only sort of known quantity that's in that movie. And one of the charms of that movie is that there's so many people that you've never seen before who we know to be non-professional actors or who are trying something for the first time. And, you know, Sean Baker makes films that are often um, using a lot of non-professional people. And he has a, a little bit of an unusual approach to making film. And that is definitely what I think a lot of people responded to about that movie. So for the one person to be identified as the person who you've seen in 75 movies over the last 30 years is kind of a bummer. Um, That said, I agree with what Cam, you were saying, which is that it's Willem Dafoe is playing against type, and that's fun, that's cool, and he he does it beautifully. You know, you really, you feel close to him, and you feel an unusual empathy for one of his characters, and I, I think that there's a small chance that he... He takes this, but, you know, we'll have to see. I would love that. We live in a post-moonlight world, so anything can happen, frankly. <laughs> anything can happen. And <laughs> anything, anything happen. did happen in the lead actress category. That's not true. Actually, this was the chalkiest category of them all. Uh, I'm going to read the nominees, and we can break it down. Sally Hawkins in The Shape of Water, Frances McDormand in Three Billboards, Margot Robbie in I, Sir Saoirse Ronan in Lady Bird, and Meryl Streep in The Post. This is Meryl Streep's 21st nomination. <laughs> That's insane. Oh, yeah. Any reactions? This was the the least (laughs) shocking and interesting category out of all of them to me.
1: I've got two reactions. Number one, Meryl Streep was good in the post.
0: I agree. I secretly love Meryl Streep in the post. (laughs) I'm not shading it. I just want to note that we are living in the dawn of Meryl Streep every single day. Yeah.
1: That's true. She's basically doing her Julia Child impression, but I also really enjoyed the Julie versus Julia, so it's fine with me. And then the other thing I would say, and this is almost greedy, but given all the Phantom Thread nominations, I suddenly really got mad for Vicky Krieps yeah. in a way that I hadn't even thought to think that she would get a nomination because Phantom Thread was just not on people's radars. And as Sean, as you have pointed out many times, as Cam, as you pointed out, she makes that movie.
2: She's great in that yeah, movie. she's the hardest role. She's holding her own against L- mean-ass Leslie Manville, who's a pro, mm-hmm. And weird-ass, like, Daniel Day-Lewis, also a pro. And she seamlessly is of that, of the same caliber. It's remarkable. She's, like, playing a character who has to butt up against kind of an egotistical character played by a highfalutin method actor, pain in the ass. Um, and she more than holds her own.
1: And that's also a movie where if the female lead can't bring it, then the film is a disaster. It is doing some gender dynamics that really need someone who can hold her own.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Far be it for me to take away the credit that a woman deserves and give it to a man, that is not what I am trying to do here. But I do think it's one of the master strokes of PTA and the movie is to find the right person to go nose-to-nose with Daniel Day-Lewis again. I mean, he did this with Paul Dano, and there will be blood and he really he found the right person to kind of stare down this overwhelming intense presence and Vicky Cripps is the same I mean it's the same sort of thing it's a person you haven't seen at maybe once or twice in a film who at first seems shy and retiring and then becomes incredibly powerful and persuasive and it takes over the movie at times and I completely agree and I wish she was nominated and there's nothing we can do about it now so I guess Francis is going to win this. Is that that's that's, that's the way it's going to go, right? I mean, I I don't know. I honestly don't know. I I would. It would be nice if there was a little bit more energy going in Saoirse Ronan's uh, direction. I think yeah. you know, she's been nominated so many times for someone who's twenty three years old already that it's possible that some of that goodwill starts to build. Um, I don't. She's going to get that Jennifer Lawrence bump. I mean, uh, really I'm afraid that she does not her but Oscar that's award, right. conversation. Saoirse.
1: Can I ask you, how much do you think that acceptance speeches play a role in voting? Because I I have thought a lot about Frances McDormand's performance in Three Billboards since I saw it. And I think that is a flawed movie and I agree with much of what Cam wrote. But she's very angry in a way that you don't see on film, Mm -hmm. especially from a woman. And I have thought about that. And then the campaigning process has not been the most solid from her. I don't really think she's been engaging with the conversation around the film, which is maybe not her job. And right. then I, her speech at the SAG Awards was <laughs> – it was unfortunate. And yes. I think the key lines were that she start, She said the yeah. word representation and then started speaking about her agents instead of seeing ourselves on film. So people do talk a lot about kind of the, the early awards season, the early awards shows as – test cases. And I'm just curious whether you think that will affect her at all.
0: I don't I don't think so. I I think Frances McDormand is a 60 year old woman who uh, is a known public quantity because her public quantity is that she's not public. The only times that we've seen her are when she is accepting a Best Actress Oscar or she is sitting in the audience not receiving a Best Actress Oscar and seeming completely nonplussed by that. You know, she has like a straight talking, straight ahead in my own world kind of identity. And if we have a desire to project something more meaningful than that, I think we're bound to be disappointed. And that's like an interesting an interesting test case for all of the Oscars. You know, there is a desire, and I'm guilty of this as anybody, to, to, to put meaning on this stuff that doesn't necessarily mm. exist. In the same way that it's, I think, a little risky to try to put meaning on a movie like Three Billboards. that It, it, it can't necessarily hold the weight of. So. You know, whether she wins or not and whether that's—I I think a win for Saoirse Ronan would be as powerful a statement about, you know, a woman's point of view as, as, as Frances McDormand. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, you know, absolutely. Saoirse Ronan's pretty angry in that movie at times, too. But the thing that's, I think, maybe not so great about Three Billboards is Frances McDormand's character is, like, only angry. You know, she's not really anything else. And Well, if she wore anything but overalls— she would <laughs> have less to be angry. Well, about. she does look comfortable. I
2: don't I don't want to undermine she that. She does, but I I love Frances McDormand so much and there's nothing for me as sour as like an actor you love in a role getting getting awards and stuff for a role that just you think is is not to quality for them. I feel I feel the same way about her in this as I do about Allison Janney and, and Tanya, which is like yeah, you would of course rock this part. I there's nothing and i and I, I guess that's not bad. I think part of being a movie star is you know, knowing what your lane is and and uh and satisfying every time. but I think I'm looking at these nominees and I don't see why she wouldn't win. but this is an unexpectedly weak category for me. it's weird it's weird like to feel like this is a category full of like, Powerful women characters, but it still feels like a weak category because it doesn't feel like the most exciting. Besides, for me, Sorsha I kind of, I'm secretly standing for Arrow. Um, the gold caftan is like the outfit of the year for. Can, <laughs> I off-
1: can I offer a controversial take about the caftan? Do you hate it? We deserve better caftans. Give me a prince. <laughs> That's my goal for 2018. Let's raise our expectations for caftans in movies. Okay, thank you. I'm done.
0: That is not something about which I have an opinion. So we're going to go to the next category. And we've spent a lot of time on this already, so we don't have to belabor it, but it's lead actor, and here are the nominees. Timothy Chalamet, Call Me By Your Name, Daniel Day-Lewis, Phantom Thread, Daniel Kaluuya, Get Out, Gary Oldman, Darkest Hour, and the aforementioned Denzel Washington, Roman J. Israel, Esquire. I've shared my Denzel takes. I think that there's something notable in this category, which is that it is two first-time nominees, uh, Young Men, Chalamet, and Kaluuya, and then three... War horses, so to speak in, in DDL and Gary Oldman and Denzel. Gary Oldman obviously is the front runner here. Is there anything that you guys want to say about this? That isn't, um, I guess Gary Oldman's going to win. I'm, I was shocked about Daniel Kaluuya actually. Really? I, I wasn't,
2: ex- I wasn't seeing that. No, because I, I, I guess I, I hadn't really heard people talk about get out as an actor movie. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: there was, some, there was some hope for Betty Gabriel, too, but that Did, never really I, surfaced. Yeah, I'm on
2: the Betty Gabriel train. And if, if anyone should be nominated for this movie, actually, for me, it's it's Betty Gabriel. But I love him in this. Um, I love the idea of him being in the Academy now, I guess, sort of eventually is how it works. How do you
0: think Sam Jackson feels about this? <laughs> Not psyched? Okay. I wonder go.
2: if he even noticed. Uh, what is he even up to? He's on well, a you boat know, right
0: somewhere right now. He's good.
2: It's it's a good this is a good category to me. I don't even I don't even dislike Gary Oldman in, in Darkest Hour. I love a mean, um scene Chewy, puts on a lot of weight, like is more pale than he has to be. I have another take about this one. Oh, ready.
1: Which is that I think Churchill is too easy a role to win an Oscar. Ooh. Because all you have to do is sit in a bathtub and be eccentric and all of the good lines are already written for you by history. So True This is my take.
0: That's why you need a genuine eccentric like Reynolds Woodcock. Bring exactly. Daniel Day Lewis his fourth Oscar forthwith. Okay.
2: Isn't it weird that he's not going to win? I mean, I just don't think he's going to win. Well, that's what I was
1: going to ask. Do it's you th-
2: such a good performance.
0: It's like.
1: Do you think the phantom thread surge today has any effect on Daniel Day's chances?
0: It's definitely possible because we know that. There are so many people in the Academy that are just obsessed with him. And they're obsessed with the idea of what he does as an actor because it makes that it feel like their job is more important and it has more power. And it's definitely plausible that he win. I just think that Gary Oldman, and this let's use this as a segue to talk about the next phase of this stuff, has been campaigning his guts out. He has really just kissed every baby and handshaken every journalist and done all the things that you need to do to lock up a nomination and then ultimately a win and and for a year we've been hearing that Gary Oldman has been gearing up to get his Oscar and I just think I do think that that's the direction that we're headed in if Daniel Day-Lewis manages to overwhelm the feelings of the Academy members then maybe he ties Catherine Hepburn as the only person to win four Oscars but we'll, we'll see with that in mind Cam you pointed out to me last week that this might be a a uniquely interesting campaign period. Now the next sort of 35 days of voting that we're going to have. What did you mean by that? When you said that?
2: I just, I think it's going to get a little, I don't want to say nasty, but I guess that is the word. Um, because for a number of reasons we are dealing with the Oscars. So we're dealing with some sort of backlash period. I think at this point it's sort of clear which movies are going to get a lot of conversation, three billboards among them. Um, and a lot of dissenting opinions are going to keep getting published every day about these things. But then I also think this is the moment of this is the moment of like time's up, right? So this is the moment of um, people people coming to the fore with stories and details about the past bad behavior of people up for awards. Not only people up for awards, but tis the season, and I and I sort of wonder, um, you know, it's not so hard to Google someone like Gary Oldman. And find the things that would derail, like uh, an awards campaign. Um, how that gets spun is interesting to me, because I—I I mean, it, I, mostly I'm sort of turned off by the idea of this only being pegged to award season. But I'm—I'm I'm, I'm interested to see how the knives come out. I mean, you know, it's—it's it's politics. Um, and you are really at an advantage if you're someone like Timothy Chalamet, who no one really knows. And you're kind of too young to have really done anything. <laughs> you're, you know, you're just like, and you're like the the cute kid who's dancing to Cardi B on the red carpet. There's like no dirt, really. Um, but these war horses, I think, should be thinking right now. It's particularly, I'm mean, given, James Franco's not here. Um, so clearly, I mean, not clearly, not automatically, but... It's safe to say that the conversation surrounding him had an impact on whether or not in the ensuing week people felt comfortable putting his name on a ballot. So I think that kind of thing can matter. On the other hand, the uh, best actress trophy is going to be given out by Casey Affleck this year, right? He was last year's winner. That is the plan. So, and he won. Um, And there was also a healthy conversation there. So, it's a weird moment for these things. Uh, and I, I hate that this is getting adjudicated via an award <laughs> because I, I think that's tacky. Uh, but I, th- I just see it getting a little bit nasty and I, I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. I'm tired of like relitigating three billboards with all my friends. I'm tired of the friends who's like, just saw it. And it's like, Oh my God, have you seen it? And wants to talk about it. I'm tired of the friends who are like, You know, have you heard this about this actor or blah, blah, blah. It's just an exhausting way to have this conversation. Uh, But this is the moment when it's going to get bad.
0: Amanda, what do you think? Do you think we're going to have a nasty period now in the next uh, six weeks or so?
1: You know, I think it's going to go both ways. It's an interesting year because we've spent this whole podcast or most of it talking about nominations that we are excited about. And I think we would agree that it's been a good year for Films that we are interested in, and it has been a truly horrible year for the film industry uh, in terms of – I suppose it's been a horrible lifetime for the film industry given what we know now. But in uh, processing and revealing this information and trying to even wrap your heads around it and figure out how to make change both in the industry and the world at large. So there is no way to reconcile those two things well. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. I, I think, Kim, I would not be surprised if there is another personality driven controversy before, because we have six weeks and it's the internet. At the same time, I, I would say I could see it going the other way, which is you could imagine people wanting to use the best picture category as a place to reward vision and what we want to see in the world and what the film industry would like to think of itself as, as opposed to what the last year has revealed it to be. So you could have both, I think, the negative campaigning and the nastiness that Cam is talking about and maybe something really lovely like a Get Out or a ladybird surprise, because that's what Hollywood wants to think of itself as. And, you know, I think it'll be surprising. I really have no idea what's going to happen in the next six weeks.
2: You know, what you just described is actually why I'm pretty confident that Drew Boport is going to win. Okay, great. Uh, <laughs>
1: well, I was trying to be positive. No,
2: I mean, I, I, but 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 because I think what Hollywood really likes is to be the place that says we understand the extent to which bad people are bad people. We also understand the extent to which, as artists, the extent to which bad people are complicated and bad people are people, not just bad people. So this is how I imagine an award ceremony in which Gary Oldman wins, uh, Debo Boards wins, Sam Rockwell wins, not and Sam Rockwell pegged here because of the role he plays, not because of the person that he is. Um, things like that. I see it sort of, I see it all going in that direction combined with an award ceremony that's hyper-aware of the moment. You know, I, I sense it being very awkward. Um, it's, it's never going to be awkward when Casey Affleck is handing Francis McDormand her Oscar. Um, you've gotten me so excited for the ceremony cam wow. <laughs> yeah
0: this is I, I'm,
2: yeah I'm excited for the like the tributes to dead people that's like that's oh, like, like, yeah like that and the
0: greatest showman song are like, yeah remember me from Coco. there's gonna be some good stuff come on yeah, let's, let's find yeah. some enthusiasm now I I think you're right that you know we're in the middle of the most complicated and vexing period um arguably in in recent Oscar history, and there will be some complications around that. I'm not, I'm not totally sure that the voting is going to go. As you said, I don't know if we'll have a darkest hour, darkest timeline sort of situation, but it's possible. And if we do, we'll find ways to communicate about it smartly. We'll be communicating about it smartly, hopefully over the course of the next six weeks. Um, and I hope to be talking to you guys again soon about the Oscars. Thank you so much for coming on The Big Picture today.
1: Thank you, Sean.
0: This was fun. Okay, guys. Farewell and farewell to Paul Thomas Anderson.
2: It's Mal and Jason from Binge Mode We wanted to tell you About the Ringers' upcoming Binge Mode Rewatchables mashup live event On Wednesday, January 24th At Largo at the Coronet Right here in Los Angeles It'll be me, Jason Concepcion Mallory Rubin Shay Serrano and Bill Simmons for a high school football spectacular covering Friday night lights and varsity blues. So put on your shoulder pads or your whipped cream bikini. Mm. Let's go, goddammit! Head to largo-la.com to purchase your tickets now. Clear eyes. Clear eyes. Full hearts. Full hearts. Don't snooze. Yeah. Buy your tickets now for Wednesday, January 24th, at Largo at the Coronet in Los Angeles. Yeah.